What's up, everybody? This is the Universal Dialect Show. I'm your host, Chris Cypher73 Cabrera. This is show number 37, and I have an awesome guest. Um, he's a host of three great shows, Dogman Encounters with Vic Cundiff, Bigfoot Encounters with Vic Cundiff, and My Paranormal Experience, all featured on multiple platforms such as YouTube, Spreaker, Sp- uh, Spreaker and Spotify, as well as some other platforms. Um, I'd like to welcome Vic Cundiff. Um, you're also on Patreon, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm on Patreon, and all four of the shows that I produce are available on all of the podcast platforms, and three of the shows are available on YouTube. Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio was not, but my other Bigfoot show called My Bigfoot Sighting is, so it makes it really easy to listen to all of them. Right. I, I didn't know you had a fourth one called My Bigfoot Sighting. Where where can I find that? Same Same place? That's right. You can find my Bigfoot sighting on YouTube or better yet on your favorite podcast app. You name the podcast app and all four of the shows that I produce are on them available. Right. So all, all of that will be all the links will be in the description. Um, just send me the link to that last one, because I, I I'm aware of three. Well, initially, I was aware of two of them. And then I found out that you had that third one called my paranormal experience, which you have me on that one. Um, but the, the fourth one, I, I had no idea about that one. Oh, that's all right. No problem. So Vic, uh, I started listening initially. I think it was, uh, Bigfoot encounters initially. And that was probably like a year and a half ago. Um, cause I was on Spreaker. Well, let me, let me tell you this first, the job that I'm working at now, I have the luxury of being able to listen to podcasts. The job that I had before, I worked for the for a school. I worked for an elementary school. I was a paraprofessional, and I wasn't allowed to have like earbuds or anything. So I would listen to some podcasts when I was in my car, let's say at lunch. So I didn't have like a long list. But then when I was able to, you know, listen to more podcasts at this current job that I'm at, I started to look for more, and your podcast popped up. And it's it was fantastic. It was great. It's probably the best B- Bigfoot uh, podcast that's out there as far as people being able to talk about their experiences. There's some great ones. No disrespect to Sasquatch, Sasquatch Chronicles with Wes. He's great. But I, I just feel like the people that come on your show, I, I, I connect with them more. So um, that's when I first got a hold of that. And then maybe a few months later, you know, I got... Uh, like a recommendation and then it was your set your, your second show which was dogman encounters and that one's great so um can we get into your origin story vic uh like where you're from and what what's what got you on your current path that you are on right now well i'm pretty ridiculously private i don't reveal where i'm from but how i got my start was back in 2007 There was a Bigfoot-specific podcast I used to listen to all the time. I used to listen to a bunch of Bigfoot-specific podcasts back then. And this particular one was called Campfire Shadows. And back then, there were two regulars who were known throughout the Bigfoot community. One was Bear, and the other one was Kumbo. Well, Bear, he actually hosted the show, and he made it known that he was planning to leave the show in pretty short order. Well, when he announced that in the same show on the same night, he said that he already thought he had a good replacement picked out for him on the show to host. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder who he's talking about. And the next thing I know, he says, yeah, I think it, 
would be best to have Vic Cundiff take my place. And I thought, what? You've got to be kidding me. Didn't have any experience doing any hosting or anything like that. I thought, yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, I let them talk me into it, and I just hit the ground running. And the next thing you know, I'm co-hosting that show with a now-deceased Shane McMahon. So I did that for two years, and that's how I got my feet wet in this. And fast forward down the road to 2015, and I put the pieces together to air the first episode of Dogman Encounters Radio that aired on August 22nd of 2015. And then about a year later, I aired the show that you're talking about, the first episode of that show. That show is Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, not Bigfoot Encounters, but rather Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. Uh, I aired the first episode of that show, like I said, in 2016. And then fast forward to about two years ago, I started another Bigfoot-specific podcast called My Bigfoot Sighting. And then just about a year ago, I premiered the first episode of my paranormal-themed show called My Paranormal Experience, which you, you mentioned already. So that's basically how I got my start in all this. Right, so... How did you know these people? Like, um, because you said they, you were named the replacement. They must have heard your voice. Was it a call-in sort of like a show? How did you connect with them? It was a show that allowed call-ins at times, but that didn't really that didn't really make up the bulk of the show. The way they knew about me was back then in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Blog talk radio was a huge thing in the Bigfoot community. Where I mean, every night you had a new Bigfoot show that you could count on to be airing a new episode. I think Campfire Shadows aired new episodes on Mondays, and Bob Coyne came on on Tuesdays, and so on and so forth. Well, I used to love just getting into the chat rooms and all these podcasts and just cutting it up with the other people listening. And that's how they found out about me, and I would call in from time to time to ask a question when they would allow it. And then that's how they got to know me. So then that's why. I guess Bear had that idea in his head about me taking his place for some reason. Right, right. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, not many people get a break like that, you know? That's right. Good point. So before you decided to go all in, like, what were you doing before? Like, what was like your occupation, education? What were your aspirations? Because I don't... I don't think as a kid, well, maybe as a kid, you were like, yeah, I'm going to be doing like podcasting. But what But what were your aspirations before you before you did that? Well, I had high hopes going back to the part about being ridiculously private. I'm not going to reveal what I, I did for an occupation before that. But yeah, I definitely had high hopes and a lot of aspirations, to say the least. All right. All right. So, um. Before we get into any specifics of the show and and certain specific topics, um, have you had any paranormal experiences yourself? Well, over forty years ago, I had a I didn't see it, but I can't see how it could have been anything else other than a huge Sasquatch just feet behind me. I was deer hunting at the time at a neighbor's farm, way out in the middle of absolute nowhere. If I would have had to walk my way out of there. I could have gone in any direction and I can only imagine how many hours upon hours I would have walked before I, I saw anything like a house or anything like that. Well, we went out there before dawn, like he told me we were, cause I'd never been deer hunting before. 
And I sat out there until afternoon and there was just nothing going on. Well, just a little bit afternoon, if I remember right, I heard this horse whinny behind me. And once we had arrived at his farm, he knew what a, a nut I am about horses. He warned me, he said, okay, this horse here is so-and-so and so-and-so. And yeah, he's fine. You can pet him or whatever. But that horse over there, that's red. Stay away from him. He'll kill you. So Ooh. I'm sitting out there with my back. I know. I'm sitting there with my back against this huge tree. I think it was an oak tree. And like I said, nothing had been happening. And it was, I guess, maybe a here afternoon. And then all of a sudden, I hear this loud horse whinny right behind me. So I think, oh, my God, is that red? But then again, there was a problem with that because at the time, I was sitting about halfway down this huge holler, hollow, and there was all kinds of, of tree trash. I mean, probably over a foot of leaves were covering the ground. So number one, the slope I was sitting on was way too steep for a horse to ever want to go on. Number two, for that horse to get anywhere near me, I would have heard it walking through the leaves. Well, I just, it didn't make sense, but I still looked around the tree one way, didn't see red, didn't see anything. And then I looked around the tree the other way, didn't see him over there looking that way, didn't hear anything. Well, it's been so many years, I can't remember if after I stopped looking was when I heard this real loud horse blow. Horses, they can't breathe through their mouths. That's one of the quirky things about horses. Unlike us, where we can breathe, obviously, through our nostrils or our mouth, they can't do that. They can only breathe through their nostrils. Well, that's why you hear them clearing their nostrils so often. That's why. Because right. that's their only source of air. Well, if something gets up there that normal clearing like that doesn't get rid of, doesn't expel the, the foreign object, they'll do what's called a blow. And it's really loud. That's basically when they dump their lungs and it's like a loud cough through the nostrils. And if you're not expecting it, it'll make you jump out of your boots. Well, I'm sitting there with my back against the tree. Again, I can't remember if this was after I looked left and then looked right or if it was before I did that. But I'm sitting there with my back against this tree and this horse blow that I heard literally just feet behind me had to have been just on the other side of that huge tree was so forceful. And there was so much volume to that blow. There is no way I'm a big guy. There's no way I could ever approach that. There's no way any man could ever approach that. The lung volume just wouldn't be close. This had to be what it, what it was behind me had to have lungs the size of a horse. That's why I think it had to have been a Sasquatch. It was over. That was north of a thousand pounds. I don't see what else it could have been other than a, a huge Sasquatch that could have snuck up on me like that. And when I'm looking for the source of the sound, not be anywhere to be seen. So, yeah, that was over 40 years ago. And I can't see how it could have been anything but a Sasquatch encounter. And, uh... Did you talk to the person that owned that property about your experience and what was their reaction? <laughs> oh, no. No, he's not the type, or he wasn't the type of guy. He was over 70 back then. He was not the kind of guy to entertain thoughts of there being things like Sasquatch out there in the woods and all. He had done everything, been everywhere, done everything in the woods, from camping to hunting to you name it, and if he hadn't seen one, then they didn't exist. So I didn't even bother 
telling him about that. But also, too, I don't really think I put the pieces together until after the fact anyway. On that trip, I don't think I realized I didn't start thinking, okay, it must have been a Sasquatch until after the fact. So, yeah, that right there would preclude the chance of me bringing it up with him anyway. But there have been two other experiences after that where I think I might have actually seen a Sasquatch, but I don't know for sure that's what it was. So that's why I'm not going to say, yeah, I definitely have seen one. Okay, so that that area, was that area known to have, like, is it too private for you to say where, where this place was, like what state it was? Uh, this area is definitely well known for Sasquatch activity, but yeah, I wouldn't want to say what state it was. Okay. All right. And, and, uh, and so it was known for, for that sort of activity. Can you get into your other encounters? I mean, even if you didn't definitively see anything, can you just talk well, about other encounters? The first possible encounter, the first possible sighting after that happened while I was walking my dog way out in the country and well, it wasn't way out in the country, but it was in the country and the place where I was at was about, I'd say I was about maybe a quarter of a mile from this bridge that leads up and over this creek. And at the time, there is a greenfield to my left and to my right. And this was in the summertime, and the greenfield had grown up to right around six feet tall. So I could still see over the top of the greenfield. If it would have been seven, I would have been done for it, but... Since it was only six, I could see over the top of the greenfield, and as I'm looking in the distance towards where that bridge was, I started seeing movement coming up because the bridge arcs up and over the creek. I see this movement start coming into view over the top of the greenfield, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And then as I keep walking, I get to the point where I've got a full view of that bridge, and there was a black figure that came running up and over the bridge and then it turned to its right my left and the way it was picking up its feet number one was just really strange it was like it was plucking its feet off the ground whereas if a person was running would have been running it would have been more of a smooth type matter because you're just worried about propelling yourself but what i was looking at was just plucking its feet up off the ground in a strange way kind of like a sewing machine manner and its head it was either a person dressed in all black with like a pointed sweatshirt hood on and the hood of the the pointed part of the hood was sticking straight up or it was some type of a juvenile sasquatch but yeah it turned to its right my left and i never got close it disappeared behind the other side of the green field as it kept running and yeah i didn't come close enough nearly close enough to it to be able to to make out particulars to know for sure what it was but that was the first possible sighting and then not long ago earlier this year i was driving down the country road and i had just looked down for something and then when i looked back up through the windshield about maybe a little less than a quarter of a mile ahead I saw it looked like a textbook Sasquatch's leg disappear behind a tree like it had been jogging across the road. And I'm just taken aback thinking, okay, do I have Sasquatch in the brain here? Did I really see what I think I might have seen? So I don't know for sure that it was a Sasquatch or if it was my eyes playing a trick on me, but 
it was blacker than black. I mean, black, black. Mm. So maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. Maybe I did see a Sasquatch, the, the, the final part of a Sasquatch crossing that road and ducking behind a big tree. Once I got to that part of the road where I'm, where I saw that Sasquatch or what I thought I saw the Sasquatch cross, I'm looking all over, but I didn't see anything. So I don't know what to think of that. So the, the, the two encounters that you're talking about, there's a couple of questions that I have. One is with both encounters, were there any sort of like sounds and smells associated with those encounters? Well, I was so far away both times that number one if they would have made any sounds i never would have heard unless they really vocalized as loud as they could or loudly and then as far as the smells go i had my windows up when i drove past the spot where i thought i saw one cross that country road that one day and then when i was walking through the green field by the time i got there i never would have smelled anything and it's the same thing that was a little further away that time than when I was driving. So unless it made a fairly loud vocalization, I wouldn't have heard anything that time either. So I don't know. Right. Right. So the, the, okay. So you said that your first encounter happened like 40 years ago. So I have no way to gauge how old you were when, that, when that incident happened. Cause you're so private. I know I turned 50 like three months ago so that at 40 years ago i would have been 10 years old so i don't know how old you were when that first encounter happened but uh having to do with with bigfoot like what was your thoughts was it in your lexicon bigfoot like when did B bigfoot or paranormal become a part of your life well that that first sighting i told you about that actually happened not to date myself but that happened over 40 years ago okay but as far as Sasquatch, yeah, I was into Sasquatch when I was a kid. I mean, I got an early start. I cut my teeth on this whole Sasquatch phenomenon. I've always loved things that go bump in the night. I love the outdoors. It's just like a perfect fit. And then when I found out about Dogmen, this fascination I had for Sasquatch, all of a sudden it just was replaced by a factor of 10. The creep factor and and they're that much more mysterious and then that much more frightening and all that i hate dogmen i really do it didn't take long before that fascination with them just went to the wayside you can only talk with so many people who've had their lives turned upside down by dogmen before you you do start to hate them but that's how i got my start i mean i started early right so were you able to see the in search of Patterson Gimlin film. Oh yeah, yeah. I was catching shows like that live. So okay, yeah, because I think it dropped in '77. The original, I, I think. I before that, probably. You think it was before that? Yes, because I, I remember in the '80s when I saw it, and it was repeats. That's the yeah. first time that I saw that that film, and that's when I was like, "Yeah, there's such thing as monsters." But what were your thoughts back then when you saw the Patterson Gimlin film? Oh, I was hook, line, and sinker a believer. I thought, you know what? That's perfect proof right there. Look at how it moves. And, of course, my thought process wasn't all that elaborate or anything like that to notice things that we've picked up on today. But I was really taken aback by the footage. I mean, it looked legit to me. 
if it was a man in the costume, I just didn't see how it could have been faked. It just, it looked like the real deal to me. So that was all I needed to see to reinforce the fact that these guys were out there. Yeah, it really blew my mind when I first saw that. Yeah. Um, as a kid, like I, I knew nothing of hoaxes or anything like that. But just even throughout the years, there's nothing about it that screams hoax to me. You know, and I'm I'm no expert, but I'm just saying like just it just says it's legit, it's real, whatever that is. You know, not a man in a costume or a woman, you know. <laughs> Definitely. So uh so Vic, why what's the fascination with Bigfoot? What do you love so much about this being called Bigfoot? Well, like I said, I love this whole topic of things to go bump in the night, and I love the outdoors. It's like a perfect marriage. I mean, when I can't sleep at night, I've got insomnia. So when I can't sleep at night, I'll turn on a Bigfoot podcast. My favorite go-to right now, is, and it's been this way for a long time, is Bigfoot Outlaw Radio. And yeah, when I can't sleep, I'll turn that on and I'll listen to episodes. If I had a nickel for every time I've listened to every one of those episodes, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've just been drawn to the topic like a moth to a flame for those reasons. It's like the perfect topic for me. It just holds my interest. And and why Dogman? If we're talking about Bigfoot, why Dogman? Well, back when I was co-hosting Campfire Shadows, Kumbo and Bear had gone out on an, uh, an outing. And when they came back, they were talking about there was someone that was with them that either saw what they called a dog-faced booger on the outing mm. or they had seen one in the past. So when I heard that appellation, dog-faced booger, I'm thinking, okay, what's that? I know what a booger is. A booger is a southern term, obviously, for a Sasquatch. But what's a dog-faced booger? Well, I dug deeper into it and found out they were talking about what's called a dog man. So I'm thinking, dog man, that sounds like a werewolf. So I just dug into it and dug into it. And it wasn't long before I got the the thought in my head, okay, if you have a Sasquatch encounter that goes sideways, you can almost go to your corner grocery store and find someone to talk with about it. But if you have an encounter with one of these guys, one of these dog man things, who do you go to to talk with and try to put your life back together? There is no one. Right. So... Yeah, years down the road, I put the pieces in place to start collecting encounters at dogmanencounters.com. And then a year after that, that's when the first episode of the show, Dogman Encounters Radio, aired. So then the rest is history. Awesome, man. Um, I've heard like so many different podcasts, watched documentaries, read books ever since I was a kid. Like I, I caught the bug pretty early, like preteen. And I've heard many definitions, people explaining what a Sasquatch is. In Vic Cundiff's own words, what do you believe a Sasquatch is? Well, that's the thing. At face value, it's all too easy to think that these guys are just a relic hominid that has gone undiscovered for all these years, hasn't been classified. Maybe it's a type of of evolved gigantopithecus but then there's so many credible eyewitnesses who report seeing these guys do things that just totally defy explanation of them possibly being a flesh and blood creature so i wish i could tell you for sure what they are 
but I can't do that. I mean, the longer you do this, the more questions pop into your head about what they really are. That is, if you keep an open mind, that is. I mean, it's all too easy to close off your mind and say, okay, no, they just have to be an ape and just be convinced that's how it's got to be. But if you keep your eyes open in this, I think it's just inevitable that those questions have to start creeping in eventually and really make you wonder. One thing that really sticks in my craw about this whole Sasquatch dogman thing is people talking about them mating and causing chimeras and everything. People putting it out there that what are commonly called Gugway or type three dogmen are some type of a cross between a Sasquatch and a dogman. Well, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, a timber wolf can't breed with an orangutan or a silverback. Well, not a silverback, but a gorilla and produce offspring. It just doesn't work that way. And you now you've got people talking about how, uh-oh, I feel a sneeze coming on. Give me just a second. Okay, no worries. Right. Thank goodness for mute buttons. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, don't apologize. You're good. As far as Gugway go, people call them Type 3 Sasquatch. And that's something that really sticks in my craw because that just absolutely does not make sense. It's not even arguable that all Sasquatch have toenails and fingernails. They do not have claws. Well, every last Gugway that's ever been reported by an eyewitness is being seen has been reported as having claws on their fingertips and on their toes. Well, claws are bone-anchored instruments on a body. Cats, their claws are bone-anchored, are bone-anchored. Bears, dogs, their claws are bone-anchored. Claws, period, are bone-anchored. Nails, your fingernails, toenails are not bone-anchored. I've heard so many people try to explain it away. This whole Type 3 Sasquatch thing is being, well, maybe some are born with claws instead of toenails and fingernails. It just doesn't work that way. You can be born with, with no nose. You can be born with all sorts of, of deformations. But to be born with claws instead of fingernails and toenails, when your species the DNA in your species is already programmed to produce offspring with toenails and fingernails flat out just does not happen. That's something that if it does happen, it has to happen over so much time. It's just ridiculous. It's not going to be one of those surprise things that, that a baby comes out with claws instead of fingernails or toenails. There's another reason why it just sticks in my craw. Another reason why Gugway cannot be a type of Sasquatch. If you look in the mouth of every Gugway that's ever been reported as being seen, in other words, the mouth of any type three that's ever been seen, all their teeth are sharp. Every last tooth in their head is always reported as being sharp. Well, for them to be a type of gorilla, if Sasquatch is a type of ape, Gorillas and apes, you know, different things. A gorilla is an ape, and ape's not necessarily gorilla. But a lot of people, the apers, when it comes to Sasquatch, a lot of them think, okay, well, they're a kind of ape. Well, apes, they have sharp upper canines and sharp lower canines. Every other tooth in their head, no other tooth in their head, I should say, is sharp. 
besides their upper canines and their lower canines. There are teeth in our heads, teeth in gorillas' heads, for example, called post-canines, right behind the main canines. Well, same thing. Those are never sharp. Only the main canines are sharp. But in a Gugwe's head, in a Type 3's head, those post-canines are sharp, just like every other tooth in their head. That's another disqualifying anatomical feature that tells you right then and there, this cannot be an ape that we're talking about. What they are, I can't say. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But I can tell you what Gugwe are not. They are not a kind of ape. If, again, you're one of those people that think that Sasquatch are apes. So, yeah, that's just one thing that really sticks in my craw. All the bad information that's being pumped out there in the Bigfoot community. I mean, every time you turn around, you're finding more bad information and it just takes away our credibility. It really does. The Universal Dialect Show will return. But first, a word from our sponsor. In a world where style knows no boundaries, where self-expression reigns supreme, there is Arise Creations. Introducing Arise Creations, the ultimate destination for fashion-forward individuals seeking affordable, unisex apparel that caters to every unique style. Arise Creations brings you an exceptional collection of unisex fashion essentials. From trendy tops that blend style and comfort, to versatile bottoms and footwear that add an extra layer of sophistication. We've got you covered from head to toe. Arise Creations is more than just a clothing line. We strive to create an inclusive space where everyone can find fashionable and affordable pieces that reflect their unique personality. With indelible designs, we ensure that anyone can confidently wear our products, breaking down barriers while embracing individuality. But that's not all. Arise Creations is proud to be affiliated with the Universal Dialect Show, a groundbreaking podcast that explores the worlds of music, paranormal, art, fashion, and beyond. Join the conversation on YouTube, BitChute, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Arise Creations is committed to making fashion accessible to all. We believe that styles should know no bounds and everyone deserves to feel confident and empowered in what they wear. With our affordable prices and diverse product range, we're here to help you unleash your true self. Come and unleash your style and embrace your individuality. Arise Creations, where fashion meets affordability and self-expression. Please visit our website today to explore our collection and be a part of the fashion revolution. Arise Creations and the Universal Dialect Show, empowering you to create your own destiny. Head to www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations 73. Again, that's www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations 
So that's A-R-I-S-E-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S, the number seven, and the number three, and bring your look to new heights. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation just in the paranormal field alone. Um, Everything from ufology all the way down to ghosts and spirits, but comes with the territory, unfortunately. And, you know, if you're a legit person, you're going to weed through all the bullcrap and get to the source. Um, But yeah, um, my next question, Vic, is there's a lot of differing descriptions of Bigfoot. Why do you think that is? And is it because Sasquatch has like their main template look and all these other sort of descriptions are other cryptids or are they evolving possibly? Well, people who really spend a lot of time out there beating the bushes, they'll tell you, well, not all of them have experienced this, but quite a few of them have experienced seeing three different types, what are called the little people. And then also what are commonly referred to as being type one Sasquatch, which are the really big versions of Sasquatch with the conical heads, just like Patty. She's obviously a female, but there's a, another type, a type two, what's called a type two. That's got more of a rounded head and a build similar to what a lot of people believe Neanderthals had. But yeah, I do believe that there are three kinds of Sasquatch out there amongst each Variance. I'm sure you have a lot of different looks amongst each one of them, just like, you know, people have different looks. So why should they be any different? You probably have in certain areas type ones that just tend to get bigger and they just have an overall more robust appearance than type ones and other areas where they live. So I think that's just natural. You're going to have different looks within the same species if they are a species and not some kind of a supernatural entity or back to that whole thing where right. we don't know for sure what they are, but I think it's just natural that they would all have so many different appearances. So do you believe in this thing that they call the woo? Well, yeah, the woo, I do believe in it. That's just back to the whole point I made earlier about how there's so many credible eyewitnesses who report seeing them disappear into portals or appear walking through a portal. If there is such a thing as a portal portal in the first place, seeing them cloak and do all these things, people who give every indication being sound of mind, you talk with them for well over an hour and there's not one indication that there's anything wrong upstairs with this person or that person. And they swear vehemently. I did see this. I know this sounds crazy, but I saw this. I saw a Sasquatch cloak 10 feet right in front of me in broad daylight. So yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to discount that. And I don't, when I got into this, I was really reluctant to believe that, but After it's been reinforced time and time again over the years I've been doing this by so many credible people, I mean, how can you discount that as as just bunk? Right. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. You can't discount a person's encounter. That's their encounter. They're either telling the truth or they're lying, you know? (laughs) And that's basically what it boils down to. 
Yeah, you know? that's right. So, so in your fandom of cryptids and Sasquatch and your research, can you tell me what some of the characteristics of Sasquatch that really intrigue you the most? Well, their size, their size and strength. That's definitely what fascinates me most about them. How do they do so many of the things that so many credible eyewitness or eyewitnesses report seeing them do? I mean, think about how many times you heard a credible eyewitness talk about hearing them pushing over trees that aren't rotten, healthy trees that seem way too big to ever be pushed over by anything, unless you're in a D10 or a D11 bulldozer. Things like that. I mean, I forgot the podcast. There was a podcast I listened to recently where someone, I think Kumbo, was talking about how somewhere out west, this logging crew had left a D8 bulldozer, Caterpillar D8 dozer, sitting up on the mountain in this clearing where they had been felling trees and they went home for the night and just left it sitting there. Well, when they came back the next morning, this D8 had been pushed down the mountain and was laying upside down. A D8 weighs 80,000 pounds. You tell me without the aid of machinery, just think about the kind of strength for a creature or even creatures, multiple creatures to push an 80,000 pound machine like that over so it tumbles down the mountainside. Just things like that are so amazing. They really are. Yeah, awesome. So in your estimation, but um and it's just estimation. I mean, I know it's there's no definitive answer to this. How many of these beings, meaning Sasquatch, do you believe are on this planet currently? Wow, I don't have nearly enough info to even venture a guess on that. I have no clue. I'm sure tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands. What about like here in America? Do you think like every, every do you think every state in America has Sasquatch? Oh yeah. Oh definitely. There's this canard that for these guys to make a living, they can only be making a living in a place that's so far removed from society, from any society. And that's clearly not the case. In a lot of cases, they prefer to be up close and personal, right on the outskirts of of society. If you think about all the resources, though, it only makes sense. Imagine how easy it is for them to just raid dumpsters in the nighttime. People will never know that they're raiding dumpsters and all the other resources, things they can scavenge to use for various purposes, doing what they need to do in their own Sasquatchy way. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it just makes sense that they would hang in close. If you were forced to live out, this is different, but if you all of a sudden were forced to abandon society and you couldn't live in a house anymore, would you want to live in the absolute middle of nowhere? Or would it be easier if you lived just on the outskirts of civilization where you could sneak in and and grab resources that you could use to feed yourself, to provide shelter, to do other things, to entertain yourself, to watch people do things throughout the day because there is no TV out there. So it just makes sense that they would hang out on the outskirts. And that just opens up so many opportunities as far as places for them to live. So I think that fact right there, they don't have to be isolated, miles and miles away from society. That right there makes it so that the numbers, their population has to be so much higher than 
most people would ever believe. So do you believe, Vic, that there's any place on this planet where there are not any Bigfoot? I do. Antarctica. <laughs> Antarctica, the North Pole. Yeah, I just don't don't see them being there. I don't think they're north of the Arctic Circle. I don't yeah. think that they could handle the temperature, I would imagine, but when you think how how few and far between the resources would be up there. They're not obligate carnivores. When push comes to shove in the wintertime, it's been said that they subsist on just meat, nothing but meat. But I think they definitely do like being able to eat other things, fruits and vegetables, robbing gardens, eating vegetation on various trees and shrubs that they know are edible when they're covered in leaves and the warmer months and more temperate areas. Yeah, I mean, why do that to themselves? Why live in an area where they never have exposure to things like that? Mm. Do you believe that they crossed the Bering Strait? Like, they, do you believe that they were originally from Europe and they worked their way over on the Bering Land Bridge? I do. Yeah, I think they they might predate us. I don't know that for sure, but yeah, I think they've been with us all the way. So I do believe they've crossed the the Bering Land Bridge, or they and, did cross it when it existed. Right. And Dogman is Dogman. Has Dogman been around as long as Sasquatch, or is it something that? Because I know that in the last five years, reports, particularly in the last five years, reports have skyrocketed. And now, well, now, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. Not to interrupt you. I, no, no. Go ahead. This is your show, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's your show. <laughs> That's another canard that is floating around. That there are more dogman encounters being reported now than there have ever been. But I'm not seeing that. It's been steady. And I think the perception that there are more encounters now than there ever have been reported is due to our ability to communicate so much more effectively, efficiently. Think about it. Back in the 80s and the 90s, if you had an experience in China, it could take a long time for that to happen, to, for that encounter, the news of the encounter or whatever experience to make its way here. So that really throws a monkey wrench into the efficiency of communication. But now you could be anywhere in the world, have an experience that's profound. And next thing you know, everyone in the world who's kind of connected to digital technology, everyone like that knows about it. So I think that right there is why it seems like there are more dogman encounters happening now than have ever been happening. But I just don't think that's the case. I mean, I'm neck deep in this thing and... Yeah, I just, if that was the case, I would definitely know it. And yeah, the numbers definitely don't reflect that. Right. So do you believe that there's, like, can you explain to me, like, the difference between a dogman and a werewolf? I sure can. Yeah, I don't even know that werewolves exist. I don't think they're reality. I could be wrong because in this crazy world, I guess anything is possible. But a werewolf, the textbook definition of a werewolf is a person who, through magic or whatever supernatural means, has the ability to shapeshift. 
from the form of a human to that of the beast that we know as a werewolf. Dogmen look the way they do 24-7, 365, so it's apples and oranges. You hear people say the dogmen are werewolves, but that's apples and oranges. They're two distinctly different things. So are there different, like Sasquatch, you know, like I said earlier, if you listen to like your podcast and other podcasts, people tend to describe Sasquatch different, some being like Neanderthal or ape-like. Are there different types of dogman? Yeah, there sure are. There are a lot of variances. There are two main categories. There are dogmen that I call canine-type dogmen that have canid-style legs that stand digitigrade. In other words, on their toes, the way a dog would or a cat would. Correct. They have hocks instead of ankles. They've got stifled joints instead of knees. Well, any dogman that has a leg structure like that, I consider to be a canine-type dogman as a main category. The other main category would be what I call, and I didn't come up with this name, a type three. I think Kumbo coined that that name, type three, but he called them type three Sasquatch, which they're definitely not for the reasons I highlighted earlier on. But type threes have hominid style legs, the way you do, or I do, or a Sasquatch would. They have knees, they have ankles. So you've got those two main categories, and inside each of those two main categories, you have variances. You have canine-type dogmen that look as unassuming as a timber wolf that's got the ability to stand up on his back legs. You have other variants of canine-type dogmen that can look as horrifying as the worst werewolf you've ever thought of, straight out of your worst nightmare. Then there are other variants of the canid-type dogmen, canine-type dogmen that have other looks to them. Now, on the type 3 side, which some people call Gugway, like I said earlier, as far as type 3s go, some of those look like a Sasquatch that's got a muzzle and claws on the tips of its fingers and the tips of its toes and sharp teeth in its mouth. You've got other variants of type 3s that have a head like the werewolf from an American werewolf in London. They've got more of a hominid-style body, but their heads look like the head on that werewolf from an American werewolf in London. You've got other ones that that have like a baboon-type-looking head. You've got all sorts of variants in each of those two main categories, probably at least seven or eight variants in each of those two main categories. On the canine-type dogman side, you've got a type that looks like a hyena that's got the ability to stand up and looks more monstrous, of course, than any hyena you're going to come across. But yeah, to answer your question, there are definitely variants inside of those two main categories. And and are they related? And if they are, where do the, where do the differences come from? Is, again, is that them evolving? We don't know. Yeah, we have no idea. I mean, that is just so far above and beyond what, what, unless you're some type of a government operative, not one of these phonies that comes on the shows that you hear anymore pretending to be a government operative that right. specializes in this type of a program, but a real 
government operative that specializes in this and has the means, the resources to know. I mean, outside of that, how could you know? I have no idea, no clue whatsoever how the variants came to be. Interesting. So between both Bigfoot and Dogman, since those are like, to me, like the main cryptids, like I said, specifically like nowadays, because of the internet, you know, we're we're able to hear more accounts of both of them more than any other cryptid, let's say. Uh, are there benevolent ones and malevolent ones? Well, amongst Sasquatch, yes, I definitely have heard of benevolent Sasquatch that have helped people out of jams and have rescued people. Had a guest on, I think it was Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio about a year ago. She was lost when she was a little girl in this swamp, and this female Sasquatch picked her up, and there was a nasty storm coming in. This female Sasquatch picked her up and held her against her chest as she carried this girl out of the swamp and brought her back to her Girl Scout camp. As far as dogmen go, normally you don't see benevolent behavior, but I have... There is an instance or two of them doing things to supposedly help people. There was a woman who was about to be raped and a dog man. They were like, I guess, four or five men or something. It was a huge concert. I'm getting ahead of myself. There was this big concert and this woman had to go to the porta potty. Well, when she went and got in line for the porta potty, she saw the lines were just atrocious. So she's thinking, okay, I'm in a jam here. I need to figure out something else. So she looked over and saw this tree line way off in the distance. So she beat feet for the tree line. And as soon as she had headed into the tree line, if I remember right, there were some men that made their presence known. And they surrounded her. And I guess they were about to rape her when this dog man made its presence known. And it basically talked these guys out of trying to do that. So <laughs> in its own way i guess it saved her i don't know if its intentions were to save her or not but it had the desired effect those guys they didn't hang around so i guess even dogmen can be benevolent whether it's intentional or not like i said i don't know and what about Sas you already talked about sasquatch i apologize all right so you you have your show called my paranormal experiences right and you have a lot of people that come on and talk about a ton of different things what are some of like the weirdest like let's say cryptids that anybody's brought up on that show well some of the weirdest cryptids one of the weirdest ones was there was a lady who talked about how she was driving down this road in florida and she saw this nine foot tall cat man cross the road mm. we've had all sorts of guests on with experiences to share with all sorts of strange cryptids had someone come on and talk about that cat man that she saw across the road. Had a guest not too long ago, Mike Colantonio, came on and talked about this rake encounter he had. We've had other people come on and talk about rake encounters. I just recorded an episode last week that I plan to air this week where this lady talks about this Wendigo encounter she had. I've had other people come on and talk about a window and Wendigo encounter as well. Skinwalkers, you name it, all sorts of strange cryptids. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to get back on that show again, your show again for part two. Um, Great. And when I do, uh, I'm going to 
talk about the the cat man of Nevada. I don't know if you've had anybody on your show talk about that. Have anybody come on your show talk about a cat man type creature in Nevada? No, not in Nevada. Yeah, it's a lore amongst uh the military out there. I don't know if the locals know about it, but you know, doing whatever research I can and uh other stories that have gone out there, it's called the cat man. I guess because, you know, Vic, like a lot of times when people have these encounters with cryptids or something paranormal, they don't know how to describe it. They describe it like using the vocabulary that they have. And I think a lot of times there's misinterpretations. So, for instance, like I believe that the cat man in Nevada is really a dog man, not a cat man. But it has that sort of maybe hyena cat like look. And so that's what they gave it. They gave it that name. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'll talk about it when, when I get on your show. Because when you mentioned Catman here in Florida, I was like, I never heard of the Catman here in Florida. I only know of a Catman in Nevada. Huh. Well, yeah, I never heard about that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's crazy, the the, the story behind it and everything. But um, based on your research and experiences, right, uh, I think I've asked this already, but like the nature of these beings – Dogman, uh, Bigfoot. Like, what are their what what is their purpose here on this planet? Like, well, the, I yeah, can't say that they have a purpose. I mean, what's the purpose of a mosquito? They're just here. Maybe they do have a purpose, and we don't know it. But I certainly can't think of any purpose that they serve. So I don't know. I have no idea on that. Right. Because sometimes I feel like when people talk talk about their encounters, it's almost like uh, specifically with like the dog man, like they almost uh, siphon energy from people, usually using fear. I don't know if you get that same impression sometimes. Yeah, it does seem like they tend to feed off fear in a lot of instances. There just might be something to that. It makes you wonder. All right. So can can you give me like... For instance, your the Bigfoot show that you have, like the one, the one or two stories that really made an impact on you that you, like, if anybody were to ask you the best Bigfoot encounter story that you can give them, do you have one off the top of your head? Well, there have been quite a few that have been really, really popular. I'd say the most popular one was shared by a gentleman named Jeff. He was on an island in Alaska. I don't know what the name of the island was, but he was, I think he was on a hunting trip, and he recounted this experience where he ran into a 10-foot Sasquatch that wound up pushing him down. And it aired, I think it aired about a year ago or so. It's an episode of My Bigfoot Sighting. It's episode 63. It already has north of 135,000 views because of the great job he did recounting that experience he had. But yeah, I'd say that's got to be the most popular episode of either one of my two Bigfoot shows was that one right there. It's titled Attacked by a 10-Foot Sasquatch on an Island with No Name, episode 63 of my bigfoot sighting awesome and what about like dogman what, what has been the most uh profound dogman story you've heard 
Well, I can't say it's the most profound one I've heard. The most profound ones are ones that you're never going to hear in the show because they're too terrifying for the eyewitnesses to want to relive again. They tell me once and that's good enough for them and understandably so. But the most popular episode that's ever aired, I'd say, would be episode 117 with JT. He came on and talked about how when he was young, he was in his 20s, he was driving his Dodge Coronet, his hot rod, out in the country. And <laughs> this dog man wound up running up alongside of his car and stuck its head in his passenger window. It was a nice night out, so he had his windows down. And it stuck his head in the passenger window of the car as he's heading down the road. And it just absolutely mortified him. I'd say that has got to be the most popular episode of Dogman Encounters that has ever aired, followed pretty closely by episode 190. Had a guest come on named Brandon Close and talk about an encounter that, well, several encounters he had on a property that he used to own in Cato, New York. So, yeah, I'd say those are definitely the two most popular episodes of Dogman Encounters. Awesome. Vic, have you gone out in the field doing any sort of research in the paranormal realm yourself? No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm not a researcher. A lot of people think that I am a researcher and they contact me wanting to share things with me that a researcher would be interested in, but I'm not because I'm not a researcher. I just try to help dogman eyewitnesses come to terms with their experiences and put the pieces of their lives back together and also produce the four podcasts. If you think about it, producing four podcasts, I mean, for every podcast, you have to line up guests and people know showing you and things just happening. If they don't know show you things happening where they can't do shows, it happens all the time. So in cases like that, almost every time you turn around, just because you have a quote unquote guest lined up, that doesn't mean a whole lot. You've got to go and find another guest to replace them. So yeah, between lining up guests for four shows, and then you've got to record the shows for four podcasts, and then prepping the, the audio and, and uploading the shows, and uh, that all in addition to helping the dogmen eyewitnesses, that makes it a challenge. Even if I wanted to go out into the woods and research these guys, it would definitely make it a challenge. So no, I don't research. Do, do you have any inclination to want to do it eventually one day or no? Oh, if I didn't know that they were real, then maybe, but no, I know they're out there. So yeah, there's no <laughs> desire to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. Do you still go out like hiking or hunting? Well, I love animals. I'm not a hunter. I did that one time, but that was a one and done situation. When I was deer hunting, I told you about, but yeah, I do go out when I get time to, to be able to sneak away. I love to go out and take nice long walks in the woods. I mean, there's a, a big woods here behind me that I walk miles without anyone else with me. I, as far as bad information goes, you've got all these people who they listen to these bogus shows. Every episode of the show is talking about this mindless killing machine dog man that's going to eat your brains out, split your skull and eat your brains as soon as they have the opportunity. Well, if dog men were so dangerous, I wouldn't have been able to go for a walk after walk, walking miles in the woods unarmed without anyone else with me in return, without any problems whatsoever. In a woods where, yes, there definitely are 
dogmen out there. There are Sasquatch out there in this woods. Again, walking miles by myself without ever having a problem. So, yeah, when I have a chance, I do go out and do that, but I don't do any hunting for the reasons I just highlighted. I got you, my man. Yeah, I mean, it's once you have certain experiences, it's just those places don't aren't the same anymore. You know what I mean? And you're always worried about what's around the corner and not, and we're not talking about bears or big cats, you know? <laughs> oh, sure. And I'm not worried. I mean, when I go in the woods, I don't think, oh my God, oh my God, is there a dog man that's going to jump on me and all that stuff? I can't do this. I mean, I have a good time out there because I understand dogmen. I understand Sasquatch. You are going to have an occasional bad apple who is going to be dangerous to be around. One that is going to kill you if it gets the opportunity. But yeah, that's definitely the exception, not the rule. I mean, think about it. I've spoken with literally thousands upon thousands of dogmen eyewitnesses over the years. I've been doing this since I spoke with my first dogmen eyewitness in 2007. And that's given me a huge opportunity to look for patterns, to come to firm conclusions about how likely they are to harm you. If they were so dangerous, I wouldn't have spoken with a ridiculous number of eyewitnesses who were caught dead to rights in situations where if the dogman wanted to kill them, it could have, and it would have, but it didn't. So that right there tells me these guys are not wired to be dangerous by nature. I mean, they might get up on the wrong side of the log one morning, and that's why they're in a bad mood, and maybe they're dangerous then, but if it was the rule rather than the exception, then it just wouldn't be the way it's been over the years. Do you, do you believe that Bigfoot or and or Dogman have killed people? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, people get it wrong. They get it mixed up. They, they say, Vic says these guys are safe to be around and sing Kumbaya with. No, I'm never going to say a Dogman or a Sasquatch is safe to be around any more than I'm going to say that any person is automatically safe to be around. I mean... We have serial killers. There are dangerous horses. There are camels that will kill you as soon as look at you if they get the opportunity. You name the critter with teeth and or claws, it's possible that you're going to have, well, it's a fact. You are going to have deviant examples of that type of creature. If Sasquatch and Dogman are actually creatures, then yeah, they would fit into this category as well. So that's why I feel that way. So, so you've, obviously been studying in your own way based off of people's encounters right you're not a researcher but you've studied the patterns like you said based off of people's encounters that they you know told you podcasts that you've listened to stuff that you've read if you had any advice for anybody that wanted to go out to research not hunt sasquatch or dogman what would be some of the things you would tell someone like the pros and cons, like what what equipment they should have, maybe not have. Well, I think it's a little <laughs> different when you're talking about researching dogmen versus Sasquatch. I mean, if you research dogmen, it seems like you are more likely to have problems. I wish I could say I've never had an had a researcher, a dogman researcher contact me, freaked out because the dogman that they went out to research in its area followed them home. Vic, you've got to help me. This dogman I've been researching, it followed me home. It knows where I live now. It's coming around. What do I do? Help. I wish I could say that I've never had that happen before, but I can't because it has happened before. 
it just, I shake my head. People get hung up on this novelty, if you could call it that. I don't understand how there could be a novelty to this, but there's like a novelty where they get like dog man mania and they talk about how neat it would be to have a dog man encounter. Well, I mean, dog man encounters have caused a lot of people their lives to be turned upside down. Why would you want to risk being in the same boat as them? I mean, there's just so much more to this. If you're going to go out and research them, you should have put a lot of thought into this. And you should have a lot more knowledge about dogmen than a lot of these people who head into the field because I think it would be neat to try and research dogmen. And the end goal is to try to have an encounter with one. They're just playing with fire when they don't know and they don't know nearly enough about what they're dealing with. Sasquatch, I think that's more forgiving. But still, if you put yourself in the wrong situation with them as well, I think you can find yourself in a bad spot. So, yeah, even with them, I think you should really know what you're putting yourself in for and know a heck of a lot more about Sasquatch than a lot of these people who beat the bushes looking for them do. Awesome, dude. Yeah, that's that's the best way to look at it. Um, There's... Obviously, the Patterson-Gimlin film, that's like the, the the gold standard. And then you have the Freeman footage. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But are there any other like footage that you've seen that you think is compelling? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've seen Dogman footage that puts the Patterson-Gimlin footage to shame. To highlight what I'm talking about, this was like eight years ago, I guess. There was a gentleman from the Sierra Nevada mountains who contacted me and told me that either he or a friend of his came to the realization that a dog man or dog men plural were hanging out in this particular area in the foothills to the Sierra Nevada mountains. So either he or a buddy of his decided to take this more expensive game cam, strap it to a tree trunk in this area, and then hang some bait on a branch about five feet away from the camera lens. Well, he shared this video footage with me. And yeah, as he said, it, it was a bright, sunny day. I don't think there's even a cloud in the sky. And all of a sudden, you see this dog man come walking from left to right, right into view of the camera between the camera lens and that bait. So it was less than five feet away from the camera lens and i got to see it from the front at first and then when it turned to go for the bait i got to see it from the back and it was so close i could pick out individual hairs well back then i think it was not long at all after i aired episode five i think it was the guest's name was richard Eady, and one of the reasons why i came on the show on that episode of dogman encounters was not just to talk about the dogman encounters that he had had i think he'd had one or two it was also for him to talk about how one of his favorite hobbies is to analyze film footage. Eyewitnesses send to him to have him evaluate to see what he thinks of the footage. Well, the gentleman who sent me that footage that I just told you about with that dog man that came into full view, I contacted him and said, hey, there's another man I know who specializes in analyzing film like this that shows cryptids. Dogman, Sasquatch, you name it. Well, you'd never seen a Dogman video like this before. But I said, what I want to do here is I'd like to be able to send this private link for your YouTube video 
over to this gentleman named Richard Eady and have him analyze it, see what his opinion is of it. And he said, sure, go ahead. So I sent that private link. It was a link that you had to know what the link was to be able to gain access to this YouTube video, in other words. But I sent the private YouTube link to Richard Eady and yeah, he watched it. And I was on the phone with him as he was watching it for the first time. And he kept watching it over and over and over again, naturally. And it just blew him away. Understandably so. It just blew him away. This footage was tremendous. That's why I laugh when I see people leave comments to various shows talking about how if dogmen were around, then there would be good footage of them the way there is for Sasquatch. And I laugh because there is good footage out there for dogmen supporting their existence. It's just that this footage is not shared publicly. And for good reason, the government does not want any part of their existence being proven to happen. So, so do you believe that the government has specimens of Sasquatch and dogmen? I do. I do. I think the last thing they would ever want, though, is for their existence to be put out there for the public so that the public realizes that, yeah, guess what? In a forest near you, there's every possibility that there might be this giant werewolf looking thing. If they let that cat out of the bag, our way of life would just be upended overnight. Overnight. I mean, look at how people, how poorly people handled COVID. That's nothing compared to what would happen. Our economy would crash overnight. Think about how many things we rely upon on a daily basis that are harvested from the woods. Not just lumber for the homes we live in, the buildings, the paper we use, and other things, but also medicines. A lot of the medicines in your medicine cabinet and the medicines that you're going to find in hospitals, those are harvested from plants and trees in the forest. Well, if all of a sudden... If the people who are normally tasked with going out to harvest these plants for various medicines or to, to cut down timber to build homes with, if all of a sudden it was let out of the bag, guess what? There's every, op there's every possibility that there are these things out there in the forest near you that look like giant werewolves. Well, who's going to want to go out into the forest to harvest these, these resources? No one. Who's going to want to live anywhere near a forest? No one. So that's why I'm saying overnight, our way of life, our economy, the whole world's economy would falter. Yeah, yeah. So, And this footage you said is not available, huh? It's not. It's not. If you come forward with footage like that, you're asking for a lot of trouble, a lot of attention you definitely do not want. So... I would not expect footage like that to be available to the public. Have you have you seen anything like on YouTube that you believe is real? Yeah, I have. I can't tell you where that footage is now, but yeah, the really good stuff will be up for a while, and then all of a sudden just disappears. Gotcha. There have been people in this game who have acquired really impressive footage, and unfortunately... They put it out there for public consumption, and I don't know what happened to them. It seems like they're just they disappeared overnight. Not just the footage, but it seems like they drop off the map. I hope nothing happened to them, like what at first glance you might start to wonder about. Hope that didn't happen, but 
yeah, I mean, evidence like that does not stay around for long. And what what about Bigfoot? Like, have you seen anything recently that, like th- that Colorado one? What did you think of that one? The Colorado one, I don't know. Not enough information to be too sure about the validity of that. I don't think that's genuine. When you look at the proportions, when you look at a zoom in of that film footage, looks like the proportions aren't right for a Sasquatch. But I don't know for sure on that one, but I don't believe it's genuine. So have you seen anything lately that that strikes your attention? I've seen some lately that that do make the antennas go up. Yes, but yeah, years ago, evidence of Sasquatch was shared with me that was just like in your face here's the sasquatch it's just like you go to part the drapes and bam oh there you are that type of closeness that evidence is definitely out there yeah it it sucks because like you you have access right because you you were showing specific footage but a person like myself who doesn't have access i I can just go on youtube for hours and maybe a quarter of the you know, videos or images are real, but I don't know what's real and what's not. Even stuff that may look real could be fake and stuff that looks fake could be real. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the tough part. <laughs> That's right. And now that we have AI, AI is getting more and more advanced all the time. So that's just going to muddy the water that much more. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So Vic, you, ha- you have these different projects and I would imagine you probably face some blowback. So when it comes to skeptics and critics <laughs> who have challenged, you know, the encounters on your shows, how do you handle that? I don't worry about it. I know that I do the best I can to put honest eyewitnesses out there to a point. What I'm getting at here is when I started doing this, when I started airing episodes of Dog Man Encounters, I knew this would be a problem. It's such an over-the-top topic. There are so many people who are never going to believe these guys could ever be out there. Meaning that every episode you put out there, they're going to say that it's a person coming on your show, another person coming on the show to lie. Well, I made a promise to myself back when I started airing episodes that I would much rather play the fool and have someone come on the show who's just trying to lie the way onto the show for whatever reasons. I'd much rather play the fool by having that happen than I would have a situation where because of how an eyewitness presents their encounter, for whatever reason, I don't believe them and be mistaken. But because it's my mistaken opinion that they're not a genuine eyewitness, I rebuff them and and turn them away. I would much rather play the fool and have someone come on the show that that is lying and fooled me than to turn someone around at the door who actually is telling the truth. But for whatever reason, how they delivered the experience, it made me think incorrectly that they were lying. So, yes, I have had people come on Dogman Encounters inevitably who have lied the way onto the show. That's mm-hmm. inevitable. But if someone lies to me and I catch them in a lie, then that's it. You lied to me once, fooey on you. So I do the best I can that way to weed out the charlatans. But in my opinion, there's no ethical way to rule out all the charlatans without risking turning 
someone away at the door who is a genuine eyewitness, like I said, who just due to their delivery makes you think that they're lying to you when they're not. Great, great insight. Great insight. A few more questions before before we call it, my man. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Um, I've noticed big time, and I think we talked about this before we even started recording, uh, the dissension in the paranormal community. Uh, it, it It's weird because I feel like everybody's goal is the same, but, but cer- certain groups or people tend to work against others. And it's like this cash grab thing who, who gets what, you know, information first and, and, and wh- why do you think that is? And, and what could be a resolution to that? Vic. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people in this community are morally bankrupt. There's no two ways around it. A lot of people in this community are that way. For whatever reason, how they were raised combined with their the way they're wired just makes that so. And as long as that is the case, then there's no, no getting around having problems like this. And then too, you have things like jealousy, like you, you mentioned that creeps in and, and whatnot, but it's just unfortunate that if you're in this field, you're going to have to deal with a lot of acerbic people who do a lot of things that are shady and shameful. So yeah, I hate that aspect of it, but it just comes along with doing this, unfortunately. So you, you're, have four successful shows. I would imagine you don't work a regular nine to five and you got people like myself who are brand new, pretty brand new to this podcasting thing and others who want to start. Um, we we look up to individuals like yourself. So do you have any advice for anybody that's trying to start like um, or they see that their numbers aren't going up and they just want to give up? Like, do you have any advice for anybody for like for like that? Sorry. Well, being in this field for as long as I have been, not just the cryptid field, but being in podcasting, podcasting where the focus of each episode is going to be cryptids. I've noticed a trend back in like 2005, all the way up through like 2010. You could just basically put anything out there that's cryptid related and there are going to be people lining up around the block to listen to it. But it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this because I'm wrong about a lot of things, but it seems to me like, and this is one of the reasons why I have made created podcasts like my Bigfoot sighting and my paranormal experience and formatted them the way I have. seems like there is a transition where people are more attracted to podcasts that focus on the actual encounters now than talk radio type podcasts where there's a Q&A back and forth the way I do with Dogman Encounters or Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. Seems like there's kind of a, a transition away from that style over to a story time format where they can just sit back and listen to eyewitness after eyewitness recount their experiences. If I was setting up a podcast today, that's one of the the things I would definitely recommend is trying to set up your podcast so you focus more on the experiences 
and less of the Q&A. Again, like I said, the way I did Dogman Encounters and Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. But the format, using that format for Dogman Encounters serves a purpose. I mean, Dogman Encounters is not about entertainment. It's basically bringing you along with me as I try to help these eyewitnesses come to terms with their Dogman experiences. So there's a reason for me using that Q&A format for Dogman Encounters. And for Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, I use a Q&A format. It's kind of like a hybrid story time Q&A format for that. But, I mean, I started that show back in 2016. So I guess that's one of the biggest reasons why I use that format. Awesome, Vic. Um, last question, I promise. <laughs> oh, no, so uh, looking ahead... You already have like four shows. Um, I don't know. You're gonna do like ten shows, <laughs> but uh, no. But seriously, are you gonna do possibly maybe a documentary in the future or books? Like what? What's what's the future for Vic Cundiff? Oh, I've got my hands full as it is. <laughs> I don't have any intentions for writing a book or anything like that. I get asked that all the time, but yeah, I mean, I don't have any interest in doing that. That would take a lot of time. I can only imagine the struggle I would have trying to set aside trying to set aside time to do that to write a book on top of like I said finding guests every week for four podcasts lining them up recording the show prep the show upload the shows and and everything that comes along with that creating thumbnails and writing descriptions for each episode so yeah, that's just not something I, I ever plan to do. That could change in the future. Highly doubt it because that's just not what I'm about. I don't really have an interest in doing something like that. Awesome, Vic. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, I would like to have you on in the future again. And uh, yeah, just reach out to me about the next episode of My Paranormal Experience. And I'll be ready for that. But uh but thank you again, Vic. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a great time. And yeah, glad to come on. Looking forward to the next time around. Just let me know and I'll be here. Yes, sir. Have a great night, okay? You too. Thank you. Everybody head to all of the links that are going to be in the description. Support Vic. Go to his Patreon. Anywhere. I don't know. Do you have like a, a store where you sell merch? I do. If you go to dogmanencounters.com and then visit the store page, it'll take you right to the store where you can buy shirts for Dogman Encounters for my Bigfoot sighting for Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. All right. You guys know you want merch, so don't mess around. Go to go to the site, pick up some merch. All right, Vic. See you later. Thanks. We'll see ya. All right, y'all, what you just heard was Vic Cundiff. He has four shows. Links are going to be in the description, like I said. Uh, so here's the deal. Um, this is probably going to be the last episode of the year. I was thinking of maybe doing a couple more, but I have to edit some other stuff. And then, like I told you in, in a previous um, episode, that I have a project that I'm working on. Um, it's called My Paranormality. Um, and I dropped. Uh, the first episode on Halloween, October 31st, not December 25th, because December 25th hasn't come yet. But I will drop a new episode on December 25th, Christmas. So that's what I'm working on now. So this will most likely be the last episode of the year. 
So uh, just to let you know, I want to thank everybody. I have about 150 something subscribers and I want to let you know, I appreciate every single one of you for subscribing. Also the messages that I've gotten on there, you know, the, the support and also those that have went to the store and ordered products. I appreciate y'all as well. Um, so if I don't do another interview, I want to wish y'all a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I'll see you next year. Um, of course, I got to do my shameless plugs. Um, I got products literally from head to toe. I got this dope hat, five panel hat. I got a bucket cap. I got a uh, knapsack. I got, you know, sneakers. I got shirts like this all over print, Arise Creations Productions. I got stuff that deals with the paranormal all, all types of designs created by myself. So if you want to head to uh, Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creation 73. That's the number seven and three at the end. And the words are all together, Arise Creations. Um, if you want to support in other ways, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash universal 73, all one word. And like I said, you can donate anywhere from a couple of bucks you could do it weekly, daily, monthly, yearly, however you want to do it. But again, thanks, thanks to everyone for all the support and all the guests that, you know, had the time to come onto the show. So I'm going to see you out. Thank you all very much.